Dragon Slayer Audio. Good evening. This is Bill Oberst Jr. Welcome to the Moonlit Library. Your timing is most excellent. The moon is just about to rise. And in a few seconds, those first gifts from Lady Luna, her moonbeams, they'll start streaming through the thick, wavy glass of that Baroque window there. That big window that spans almost the entire east wall of this old library. Rising up, up from the stone floor, up to the cathedral ceiling. <laughs> Giants must have built this place. <laughs> there she is. Jupiter and Saturn above her. Mars down to the left. First light. First moonlight, anyway. See the way the dust from the old books dances in those early moonbeams? That's Egyptian grave dust. That's the magnificent pollen of Caesars and kings and wise men fools dancing up there just for us. I wonder... I wonder if they stir in their graves when we remember them. I wonder if we will. And now the moonbeams are falling on that old iridaphil globe, resting in its iron stand in the corner. I like to see where the first moonbeam lands on this old world of ours. Let's watch the globe. Ah, uh, aha. Uh -huh. South America tonight. Looks like Venezuela, to be precise. That's one of our 21 countries listening regularly to the show now on four continents. Misfits all around the globe. Here's an email received from a listener in Italy this week. She writes, Listening to you, and it feels like rain coming. When it rains here... We know whether the rain will last by the scent of the earth. We shall see if this one will last. What a nice meal. I wonder if the rain did last. Your voicemails have been arriving, too, from our voice message page at speakpipe.com slash Jr. We've heard from Renee who tells us that she has a complicated relationship with the night. I can't be in the dark ever. I was left in the dark as a child when I was young, and I, I can't be left alone in the dark ever. It's, um, it's a big thing for me. I've got um, night lights going, lights. I just, I can't be in the dark. I just can't. But there's my... Um, comment about it. Thank you so much, Bill. I adore you. Thank you for that honesty, Renee. Scott says that he could relate to last week's tale of the imp of the perverse. I really enjoyed this particular rendition of A Gothic Goodnight. 
I found myself identifying with the imp in the sense that I have felt that longing before. And I must concur, it is enough to drive a man to madness. I just want to thank you for doing this, Bill. Have a good night. Thank you, Scott. And Ingrid, well, Ingrid seems at peace with the night. Your little night terrors, I think that they're wonderful. It helps put me asleep and also puts me in a new perspective of the night. I enjoy in listening to the different types of spells you tell us while we're trying to fall into that slumber. Look forward to hearing more of your night stories. Thank you very much for being you and for telling us your nighttime gothic tales. Thank you, Ingrid. How about you, hmm? How about you? Share your voice with us, would you? Speak to us. Your weird family wants to hear from you. <laughs> so let us know how you are. The link's right there in your show notes, or you can go to speakpipe.com slash Jr. Now, turn out the lights. Don't cheat. Don't listen in the light. It won't work. Turn out the lights. Good. Yes. Dark is better. And you know, in this low light, your face is growing indistinct. Almost as if I were looking at you through some film or mist or medium or perhaps a veil, which leads me to tonight's tale. It's a sort of parable set in a village just over the woods from Salem, Massachusetts, under skies which are perpetually overcast. It's a cloudy world of woods and spirit. Tis the world of Nathaniel Hawthorne and his 1836 story, The Minister's Black Veil. Hawthorne writes, The sexton stood in the porch of the meeting house, pulling at the bell rope. Old people came stooping along the street, Children with bright faces tripped beside their parents. Bachelors looked at pretty maidens. The throng streamed in to the meeting house. The sexton told the bell, keeping his eye on the Reverend Mr. Hooper's door. The first glimpse of the Reverend's figure would be the signal for the bell to cease. The door opened, the bell ceased. But, ah, cried the sexton in astonishment. What? Has our good Parson Hooper got upon his face? All the people within hearing immediately turned about and saw Reverend Hooper pacing slowly his meditative way toward the meeting house. They stared. They expressed more wonder than if some strange animal had stepped from out the parson's door. The cause of their amazement may appear to you slight. Mr. Hooper, 
A gentlemanly person of about 30 years, though still a bachelor, was dressed in his usual neatness, starched neckband, brushed dark coat. There was but one thing remarkable in his appearance. Swathed about his forehead and hanging down over his face so low that it was shaken by his breath, Mr. Hooper had on a black veil. Two folds of crepe, which entirely concealed his features, except the mouth and the chin, but probably did not intercept his sight further than to give a darkened aspect to all things. With this veil, this gloomy shade upon his face, Mr. Hooper walked on, nodding kindly to the parishioners, but so wonderstruck were they that his greeting hardly was met with a return. They was muttering, I don't like it said a woman. He has changed himself into something awful by hiding his face. Why does he hide? Yeah, said the sexton, if it is his face. I don't think it is. Our parson has gone mad. All the congregation was astir and turned, twisting their heads toward Mr. Hooper, who appeared not to notice. He walked with an almost noiseless step, bent his head mildly to the pews on each side, and ascended the pulpit to stand face to face with his congregation, except for the black veil. That mysterious covering was never once withdrawn. The veil shook with his measured breath, threw its obscurity between him and the scripture, and lay heavily upon his uplifted countenance while he prayed. "'Mr. Hooper is hiding from God,' cried a boy. "'Was he?' What has he done that he must hide from God ah, and from us? cried an old gentleman. Well, said his companion, I have had my suspicions of him, and now this proves it. God only knows what he's done. Such was the effect of a simple piece of crepe. After the service, out came Mr. Hooper behind his flock, turning his veiled face from one group to another. He paid due reverence to the old. He saluted the middle age with kind dignity. He greeted the young with love, laying his hands on their head to bless them, as was his custom. But strange and bewildered looks repaid him for his courtesy, and no one walked by his side. So Mr. Hooper returned to the parsonage, and at the moment of closing the door was seen to look back upon the people, all of whom had their eyes fixed upon his face. "'How strange,' said a lady, "'that a simple veil should become such a terrible thing.' Hmm, said her husband. "'Something is amiss with Mr. Hooper's mind,' <laughs> replied his wife. "'I would not want to be alone with him for the world.' I wonder he is not afraid to be alone with himself. Men sometimes are, said her husband. In the afternoon, the village bell tolled for a funeral. A young lady, relatives and friends, stood about the door speaking of the good qualities of the deceased when their talk was interrupted by the appearance of Mr. Hooper, still covered by his veil. The clergyman stepped into the room where the corpse was laid and bent over the coffin to take a last farewell of his deceased parishioner. But as he stooped, the veil hung straight down, 
so that if her eyelids had not been closed forever, the dead maiden might have seen his face. <laughs> said a watcher, look, he is so fearful of her glance that his hands snatch back the veil. People who watched this interview between the dead and the living would later swear that at the instant when the clergyman's features were disclosed to it, the corpse had shuddered, rustling its shroud. The whole village talked of little else than Parson Hooper's black veil. It was the first item of news that the tavern keeper told to his guest. The children babbled of it on their way to school. One little imp covered his own face with his mother's handkerchief, frightening his playmates. It was remarkable that of all the busybodies and impertinent people in the parish, not one ventured to put the plain question to Mr. Hooper. Why do you wear the veil? As mild as he was, there was a feeling of dread which caused each to shift the responsibility upon another so that they were speechless. There was but one person in the village unappalled by the awe with which the black veil had impressed everyone else. She, with the calm energy of her character, determined to chase away the strange cloud that appeared to be settling round Mr. Hooper every moment more darkly than before. As his fiancée, his promised wife, it should be her privilege to know what the black veil concealed. So she entered the parsonage and entered upon the subject with direct simplicity. After she had seated herself, she fixed her eyes steadfastly upon the minister's veil, but she could discern nothing of the dreadful gloom that had so overawed the multitude. It was nothing but a double fold of crape, hanging down from his forehead to his mouth and slightly stirring with his breath. No, she said aloud, smiling, there is nothing terrible in this piece of crape, except that it hides a face upon which I am always glad to look. Come, Edward, come, let the sun shine from behind the cloud. Hmm? First, lay aside your veil, and then tell me why you put it on. His smile glimmered faintly in the candlelight. There is an hour to come, he said, when all of us shall cast aside our veils. But take it not amiss, if I choose to wear this piece of crepe till then. Your words are a mystery too, returned the young lady. Take away the veil from them at least. Elizabeth, this veil is a symbol, and I am bound to wear it evermore. I must wear it. I must wear it in light, in darkness, in solitude, before the gaze of multitudes. I must wear it with strangers and with my familiar friends and loves. No mortal eye will see this veil withdrawn. This dismal shade must separate me from the world. Even you, Elizabeth, can never come behind it. Edward, said Elizabeth, 
What grievous affliction has befallen you, my love, that you must darken your eyes forever? Speak to me. Is it a sign of mourning? If it be a sign of mourning, said he, I, like most other mortals, have sorrows dark enough to wear it. But, urged Elizabeth, what if the world will not believe that it is a symbol of innocent sorrow, Edward? Loved and respected as you are, there are whispers. For the sake of your holy office, do away with this scandal. The color rose in her cheeks as she intimated the nature of the rumors that were already abroad in the village. But Mr. Hooper's mildness did not forsake him, even with his love. He smiled the same sad smile, which appeared like a faint glimmering of light proceeding from the obscurity beneath the veil. If I hide my face for sorrow, there is cause enough. And if I do cover it for secret sin, what mortal might not do the same? Thus, with gentle but unconquerable obstinacy, did he resist all her entreaties. At length, Elizabeth sat silent. For a few moments she appeared lost in thought, considering, no doubt, what new methods might be tried to withdraw her lover from so dark a fantasy, which, if it had no other meaning, was certainly a symptom of mental disease. Though of a firmer character than his, she felt a tear begin in her eye, but, in an instant, a new feeling took the place of sorrow. Her eyes were fixed on the black veil when, like a sudden cold twilight, an air of terror fell around her. She rose and stood trembling before him. Do you feel it too, then, Elizabeth? He said, do you feel it too? She made no reply, but closed her eyes and turned to leave the room. He rushed forward and caught her arm. Elizabeth, stay, he cried passionately. Have patience with me, Elizabeth. Do not desert me, though this veil must be between us here on earth. Be mine, be mine, and hereafter there shall be no veil over my face, no darkness between our souls. It is only a mortal veil. It is not for eternity. Oh, Elizabeth, you know not how lonely I am and how frightened to be alone behind my black veil. Do not leave me in this miserable obscurity. She turned back to him and said, Lift the veil, Edward, only this once. Lift the veil, look me in the face, and tell me you love me. And then I shall be yours, and I shall bear the veil hereafter. Cannot, he replied, I cannot. Then said Elizabeth, Farewell, 
She withdrew her arm from his grasp, paused at the door to give him one long, shuddering gaze that seemed almost to penetrate the mystery of the black veil, then slowly departed. From that day, no further attempts were made to remove Mr. Hooper's veil, although there were guesses as to the secrets it hid. He could not walk the street by day without stairs, and he was compelled to give up his nightly walk at sunset from his house to the graveyard, for there seemed to always be faces peeking from behind the gravestones. A fable went the rounds, and gained some foothold among the superstitious that Mr. Hooper had met some dead person on such a walk, and that the stare of the dead had driven him mad, and that it had disfigured his face so that he had taken to the veil. Even the wind, it was said, respected his secret, for it never blew aside the veil. Among all its bad influences, the black veil had one desirable effect. It made him a better minister. By the aid of the mysterious veil, for there was no other apparent cause, Mr. Hooper became a man of awful power over souls that were in agony, who grew to believe that they had been with him behind the black veil, and could thus more easily let him guide them into celestial light. He sympathized with all dark affections. Dying people cried aloud for Mr. Hooper and would not yield their last breath till he appeared, though as he stooped to whisper consolation, they shuddered at the veiled face so near their own. In this manner, Mr. Hooper spent a long life, shrouded in dismal suspicion, kind, loving, though unloved, and dimly feared, a man apart, shunned in times of health and joy, summoned in times of mortal anguish. Strangers came long distances to gaze at him, and he acquired a name throughout New England. They called him Dark Father Hooper. And now, with no congregation above the ground, but a vast one resting beneath it, having worked so late into the evening, it was Father Hooper's time to rest. Only three persons were visible by the shaded candlelight in his death chamber. There was the physician, there was a young minister from Westbury who had come as a courtesy, and there was the nurse. No hired handmaiden of death she, but one whose affection had endured long in secrecy, in solitude, in the chill of old age, an affection which would not perish even at dying hour. Who else but Elizabeth? There, upon the death pillow, lay the head of dark Father Hooper, the veil still swathed about his brow, reaching down over his face, so that each more difficult gasp of his faint breath caused the crepe to stir. 
even in his most convulsive death struggles, he showed in awful solicitude, lest the veil should slip from his face. And even had he forgotten, there was a woman, a woman at his pillow, who, with averted eyes, would have covered that face which she last saw when it was the face of a young man. The death-stricken old man lay in the torpor of mental and bodily exhaustion with an imperceptible pulse and breath that grew fainter and fainter. The young minister from Westbury approached the bedside of the old man. Father Hooper, he said, the moment of your release is at hand, sir. Are you ready? Father Hooper at first replied merely by a feeble motion of his head, and then, with great exertion, he breathed, Yes, ready. And, said the minister from Westbury, is it fitting that a man so given to prayer, a, a man of such blameless example indeed in thought, so far as is known by mortals, is it fitting that such a man, a father to so many, should leave a shadow on his memory? I beg you, sir, let not this thing be. Suffer us to see you as you go to your reward. Before the veil of eternity be lifted, let us cast aside this veil from your face. And thus speaking, the young man bent forward to touch the veil and reveal the mystery of so many years, but, exerting a sudden energy that made the young minister stand aghast, Father Hooper snatched both his hands from beneath the bedclothes and pressed them so strongly on the black veil that he appeared resolute to struggle, if any wished to struggle with a dying man. Never on earth, said he, on earth, never. You dark old man, cried the frightened young minister, with what horrible crime upon your soul are you passing to your judgment? God save your evil soul. Father Hooper's breath heaved. It rattled in his throat, but with a mighty effort, grasping forward with his hands, he caught hold of life and held back death till he should speak. Why do you tremble at me alone? cried he, the veil shaking violently at every breath. Tremble at yourselves! Have men avoided me, and women shown me no pity, and children screamed and fled only because I wear a veil? What has made this piece of crepe so awful, except the mystery which it reveals in your own soul? No. When man shows his true heart, his inmost heart, one to another, when man does not shrink from the eye of his creator, when man does not loathsomely hide and treasure up the dark, dripping secrets of his heart, then deem me a monster. On every 
face there is a black veil. And fell back upon his pillow, a veiled corpse, a faint smile lingering upon the cold lips. Still veiled, they laid him in his coffin, and a veiled corpse they bore him to his grave. The grass of many years has sprung up and withered upon that grave. The burial stone is moss-grown, and good Mr. Hooper's face is dust. But awful still is the thought that it moldered beneath the black veil. Oh, God. Is that image as strong in your mind's eye as it is in mine? The picture of a face, an ordinary face, made horrible by a slight change. How strange. How easily we are put off one from another. How easily we are made suspicious by not seeing what we expect to see. If you have thoughts or ruminations, leave me a voicemail, would you? Later. <laughs> but first, come dreams. For the books are back on the shelves now. And the light from the moon is shining not from a high Baroque window in an old library, but shining down on you in your place of rest. A sweet benediction on your day. It was good. Sleep well. And remember, it's always midnight somewhere and in someone's soul. <laughs>